Early on the morning of June the 6th, 1944, the very first landing craft, or LST, that landed on the shores of Europe, or what was called at the time Hitler's Fortress Europe, landed on a beach called Dog Green Beach on Omaha Beach. Omaha Beach was the most heavily defended of all the five beaches that the Americans and the British and the Canadians had chosen to land in Normandy on what we would call D-Day. And of the Omaha Beach protection, Dog Green Beach was probably the most fortified. And in that small landing craft that landed in the first minutes of D-Day on June 6th was a company of men. It was Company A of the 116th Infantry Regiment of the 29th Division of the 1st Battalion, who had garnered a reputation in Italy as being the Big Red One, the Fighting First. And Company A was unique because Company A was made up of a group of young men all from the same small town. You see, Company A was formed as a National Guard unit before the war. And like many small towns, those of you that grew up right after the Great Depression and a way to make money uh, for many small towns and many men that were going into college or out of college or weren't going to college was to join the National Guard. And many men in this small town joined the National Guard. And when the Guard was called up, when the war began, they folded that unit into a regiment and most of them into a company. And Company A contained 19 men from the small 3,000-person town of Bedford, Virginia. And in the first few moments of Operation uh, Overlord of D-Day, as that ramp lowered on that beach, on Dog Green Beach, all 19 of those young men were killed within the first three minutes. Before the beach was secured later in the day, three other men from Bedford, Virginia were killed charging those beaches. So in one moment's time, in one day's time, 22 young men, sons, fathers, cousins, brothers, were killed from a town of 3,000. I want you to think about the ramifications of that. The town of Blowing Rock, just a little smaller than that, to lose 19 of your men, that's a generation gone. And while that sacrifice is incredible, it's just one of many instances in the last 241 years of our nation's history of small towns and families and communities across this nation that bore the weight and the sacrifices to guarantee our freedom. Every July, at this message, this time I like to read these words to remind us why that fight was necessary. 241 years ago, 56 men put their names to a document that began this way. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them from another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitles them, a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes for which impelled them to separation. All that beautiful language that Jefferson and Adams and Franklin put in the introduction basically means we want you to know why we are doing this separation, why we are declaring our independence. For we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, 
that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, while we recognize this morning in church that the freedoms that we celebrate come from God, that's what the Declaration said, they were inalienable rights given by our God to all mankind, we recognize also that it is our nation and our volunteer military down through the years who have sacrificed to secure, to guarantee, and to protect those freedoms. Those freedoms that allow us to do what we are doing today. And those sacrifices compel us to never take these freedoms for granted. Those sacrifices compel us that we can never diminish or deny or ignore the freedoms that we've been given. You see, those freedoms require more than one weekend to celebrate each year. You see, you and I have a responsibility to those who paid the ultimate price, to those who came before us when it comes to our freedoms. We have a responsibility to study and understand how precious the freedoms we have in this country really are. We have a responsibility to protect and practice those freedoms. We have a responsibility to declare and share those freedoms to those around the world and those that we know that are not free today. And if that's true of our nation, it's so much more true of the church of Jesus Christ. For you see, we have a responsibility because we have been given the ultimate freedom through Jesus Christ. If it's true that in the last 241 years, over a million Americans have given their life, their blood, their sweat, their treasure, and their lives to guarantee those freedoms that we're celebrating. I want you to think about this. Since the year 2000, In just the last 17 years, over a million Christians around the world have been killed simply because they're Christians. Last year alone, in 2016, they estimate that over 90,000 Christians gave their lives. That averages out to one every six minutes. So that if we are in worship for an hour today, then around the world, the statistics tell us that 10 Christians gave their lives for the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And if we are to honor those Americans who have sacrificed for our freedoms, then how much more do we owe those Christian martyrs around the world? How much more do we owe those Christians that are living their freedoms for the sake of death today, that we should do the same thing, that we should understand what our freedoms are, that we should practice and protect our freedoms, that we should share and declare those same freedoms that have been given to us through Jesus Christ. See, it's not enough just to gather once a week and sing about them and to talk about them. We are called to live it, to experience it, to walk it, to share it. In the passage that I read earlier to you, Jesus declared that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. See, that was Jesus' declaration of independence. It was His declaration to you that you and I have been set free. Back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, what they did was they brought the curse of sin, the the bondage of sin down on all mankind. And it's been passed down through each generation so that you and I, in and of ourselves, are in bondage to sin. We are slaves and many of us don't even know it. But not only slaves to sin, we're slaves to the things that come along with that sin. The habits, the mindsets, the attitudes that link on to sin. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, His death became a permanent payment for mankind's sin and slavery. His death ensured that when you accept His sacrifice, when you accept His life, 
You declare your independence from that bondage. You see, by you walking down an aisle or praying in a room or praying somewhere where you were alone and saying yes to Jesus, that was you making your spiritual declaration of independence. That was you declaring your freedom. The Bible says through Christ you have been set free. And I want you to hear me as a Christ follower, as a Christian, it is very clear that nothing can take those freedoms away from you. You didn't do anything to get them. You can't do anything to lose them. But you can give them up. You see, much like the freedoms that we celebrate in America, when we say those inalienable rights uh, to liberty and to life and the pursuit of happiness, nothing can take away that God-given freedom. But you can give them up. And in the church, what we found is Christians that have been set free to live in Jesus Christ, set free and empowered to change their families and their workplaces and their communities, are every day giving up the freedoms that Christ paid such a high price for. You see, you can give it away by not claiming it. You can give it away by not living it. You can give it away by falling back into bondage on your own. You see, all of us here this morning that are Christians are free, but the problem is not all of us are experiencing that freedom. And it's because of that giving it away and not understanding it and not living it that Paul, to his message to the church at Galatia. You see, Galatians, if there's ever a book in the New Testament that is a basic idea of, of a constitution for the Christian, a declaration of independence and a constitution, what it means but you see, the early church struggled with bondage. They were exchanging the freedoms that Christ gave them for, for new rules and for new laws. And instead of living free and impacting their culture, they were walking around trying to, to please each other and please a set of rules that were not from God. Early Christians struggled with legalism and we struggle with it today. And that drove Paul to declare this in Galatians 5.1, what's been called the Declaration of Spiritual Independence. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom living it. Freedom, the freedom to walk, the freedom to talk, the freedom to act on it, that Christ has set you free. So he didn't set you free so you could sit on your hands. He didn't set you free so you could ignore the freedoms you have. He didn't set you free so you could come to church once a week and check a box and go back and do whatever you want. He set you free so that you might experience it, live it, and give it away. He said, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. When he talks about this freedom, what does he mean that we're free? It means you're free from everything. You're free from anything that would put bondage on you. You are free from anything that would enslave you once again. And before we think about what that freedom means, I just want to ask you this morning, are you free? Are you really free? In your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, are you walking in the freedom that Christ has given us? Have you received it? Have you claimed it? Do you even understand it? So before we talk about giving it away, let me just walk through what you've been set free from. just want to give you a little list, a few ideas to see if you're really free. Now, a couple of years ago, I, I went through this list and, and um, 
I had more responses on email and phone calls, people wanting this list. And it, 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 it was encouraging as a pastor. You always like when people listen and say, hey, I didn't get a chance to take notes. And can you send me that list? But it broke my heart because it made me realize so many Christians don't understand what they've been set free from. So I'm just going to go down a list of 10 or 11 things that you've been set free from and give you a passage. And I want you to ask in your spirit, am I free from this? Is there any bondage, is there any chain in my life in this area that's keeping me from seeing God and experiencing God and sharing God? Because you see, if you can't claim it, then it's not yours. What are we free from? Well, the Bible says in John 1, 7, For the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The Bible teaches us that when you accepted Jesus Christ, you are free from all sin. Do you understand that? Sin no longer has a hold on you. It no longer has a power over you. If you sin now as a Christ follower, it's not because you have to, it's because you wanted to. And many of us are in bondage to sins in our life and we're in bondage to the things that sin drag in. And Jesus set you free from that. And you're still dragging the chains around that, that Jesus broke. He says we are free from the law of sin and death. It no longer has a control over us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, you're not only free from sin, you're free from bondage. You're free from the things in your past that had a hold on you. You're free from those things that you did in the past. Free from those things that you are beating yourself up over. Free from those things that the devil is telling you you're not good enough because you did. You understand that you are free from those things? Some teacher, some coach, some boyfriend, some girlfriend, some boss said something to you years ago. And it broke your heart. It broke your spirit. And instead of recognizing how free you are, you're letting those words and those thoughts put you back into bondage. Some of you are saying, I'm not fast enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not smart enough because a teacher said it to you. Let me tell you something. It's a lie, and you've been set free from it. So many believers are in bondage to their past that they can't see their future. I want to tell you, Jesus has set you free so that you might let go of those bonds. This morning, I want to tell you it's time for you to let go. Because you see, here's the key to each one of these things that I'm mentioning. It's not that they have a hold of you. You have a hold of them. You see, it's not that sin is holding on to you anymore. It's not that bondage is holding on to you anymore. It's not that fear is holding on or, or worry or doubt. They're not holding on to you. You're holding on to them. Because you see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and you said yes to him, he cut that hold they had on you. But what we do, and Paul says it clearly in Romans 9, he says, I do what I don't want to do. My body just continues to go and do and go back to that old nature and that old, we go back and we dredge it up and we dredge it up. Oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. Oh, pastor, you don't know where I've been. Pastor, you don't know what's happened to me. Jesus does. Heard somebody say this week, the devil knows your, sin, knows your name and he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, he calls you by your name. Why? Because your sin's not a part of Jesus' life anymore. He died on the cross for it. Stop being in bondage to something that's not there anymore. You're free from the law of sin and death, free from bondage. And I love this, Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You are free from condemnation. All that guilt over something that you've been set free from, why not let it go? 
See, you think, I'm, I'm not good enough. And we carry around the guilt from the mistakes we made to prove to ourselves that we're not good enough. Jesus says, let it go. You've been set free from it. False guilt is killing more Christians' joy than anything else in the church. And sadly, pastors love to, to use false guilt because it's a controlling. Listen, there is therefore now no condemnation to you that are in Christ Jesus. Now there's a difference between conviction and false guilt and condemnation. See, conviction is when you're sitting in the service and the pastor says something and, and you think, man, he must have been in my living room this week, right? You elbow your wife, did you talk to the preacher, right? That's conviction. Conviction will drive you to a deeper walk with God. Conviction will always want you to follow hard after God. Guilt and condemnation is that false voice that comes up in your head and says, that's you, that's you. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do it. God doesn't even love you. God doesn't even know where you are. That's false condemnation, and you have been set free from it. You've been set free from worry. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, For I have cast all my cares on you. You see, so many believers allow worry to put them into bondage. We talked about this when we went over the Sermon on the Mount, but worry is just simply a lack of faith. If God is in control, what do I have to worry about? And I know all of you know this. Because I see you nodding your head, yes, worry. Yes, pastor, we know worry is not of God. And then we walk out of here and we worry about something at work or we worry about what somebody's... And some of you are going to walk out of here and worry because somebody didn't smile at you in church and you're going to go build a hole. They were mad at me. What did I do to make them mad at me? And you're going to get in all that. And instead of listening to what the Holy Spirit said in church, you're already filled with worry that there's no case for. You see, he says, let go of it. The moment you find yourself starting to worry about tomorrow, you need to say, I've been set free in Christ. Worry is not part of my life anymore. I trust God. Who else should I trust? He knows what's going to happen tomorrow just as clear as he knows today. I'm ready to go with it. You've been set free from sin, from bondage, from condemnation, from worry. You've been set free from defeat. 2 Corinthians 2, 4 says, For God always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Romans says, You are more than a conqueror. You know why? And this, this is what I love. Because the greatest defeats are just a path to their greatest victories. Have you seen the new commercial that's going on? I don't even know who, who makes the commercial. It's a wonderful commercial that has a bunch of athletes talking about the key to being a great athlete, the key to being key to victory. Has them sitting around and, and, you know, Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. Peyton's talking about going, uh, you know, throwing interceptions in his first 10 games. And, and Michael Jordan talking about getting cut from his first high school team. And, you know, and they're going through talking. He said, the path to victory is through defeat. Because, you see, the Bible promises that no matter what you face, your worst defeat can be your greatest victory. Because God takes whatever we find in defeat and helps us learn from it. Stop being in bondage to your past defeats. You're free from the power of the enemy. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says the devil has no claim on your life. The enemy has no claim on your life. Flip Wilson was wrong. The devil won't make you do it, okay? He can't. He has no control over you. He, he's not leading or guiding you. You're free from the power of the enemy. You're free from weakness. Psalms 27.1, For the Lord is the strength of my life. Paul said, When I am weakest, He is strongest. Some of you think, I'm weak, Pastor. I'm physically 
weak and I'm spiritually weak and I'm emotionally weak. I just don't know if I can go on. You think that is the time that you are going to be attacked. Well, guess what? That is the time you hunker down and say, God, I've reached the end. I'm going to have to go with you. That's why people always say, well, God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. Wrong. Every day he gives you more than you can handle. Why? Because he wants you to get to the end of what you can handle and then go, God, Red Sea here. God, I need you to handle this. You see, it's at your weakest that you become strong. I am no longer bound to my weakness. You're no longer bound to the power of the enemy. You're no longer bound to defeat, and you're free from doubt. Romans 12, 3 says, For God has given every man a measure of his faith. You need to go to the point that you are secure in Jesus Christ and stop listening to the lies. To be content in Christ. You're free from doubt. You're free from want. Philippians 4, 9. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches. See, there's nothing that you need that God won't supply. See, some of us take this idea of worrying about all that we need, all that we need, and it's really not what we need, it's what we want. God will supply everything. Free from fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Fear is one of the greatest destroyers of faith. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid of that we're going to fail. Why be afraid of failing if you're no longer in bondage to failure, if you're no longer in bondage to defeat? The Bible says if you have fear this morning, fear of, of, of what tomorrow brings, fear of what's happening at work, fear of what's going on in your family, it's not of God. You're free from failure. As I just said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the beautiful thing about grace, about God's grace and knowing that you're forgiven and knowing that you're walking with God is that obedience is never failure. The world may look at it and go, well, that didn't work out too good, but, but it's not a failure if you're doing it for God. And the thing about grace is, grace gives me the ability to try. See, the law says if I try and I fail, then I'm going to be punished for it. Jesus, go. You say, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I'm just going to go try. Jesus, and Go. Why be afraid of failing? Failure has kept many a believer from sharing their faith. Failure has kept many a believer from witnessing to a family member, witnessing to a co-worker, sharing the freedoms that they have. You are free from failure, free from fear, free from want, free from doubt, free from weakness, free from the power of the enemy, free from defeat, free from condemnation, free from sin, and best, you're free from death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, death, the worst that this world can throw at us, death. And the Bible says you're not in bondage to it anymore because death holds nothing for the believer. We simply cross over into eternity. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you get the picture? You're free. Free. And if we really understood all of those things I just read, if we really understood what this means, it would change everything. It would change our worship. It would change our marriages. It would change our workplace. It changed the way we parent. It changed the way we treat other people. And it certainly changed the way we live. You see, what the world is looking for, please hear me, they're not looking for more religion. They're not looking for more churches. They're looking for freedom. Because everyone around us that doesn't have Jesus Christ is in bondage. And there are, some of them are just like the people Jesus was talking about, the Jews that said, we don't need to be set free. Why are we enslaved? 
But when they go home in their heart of hearts, there's an emptiness and a bondage that, that wraps them up. So my question to you this morning, are you walking in these freedoms? Do these become a part of your life? Are you living these freedoms? It's for these freedoms that Christ set you free. It's so that you could experience it. So you could walk in it. So you could wonder it. You see, these freedoms, he says, are worth dying for. But more importantly, they're worth living for. Why not claim the truth of God's freedom this morning? Why not be Why walk out of here with more chains and more bondage? Jesus says this morning he wants to set you free. Jesus says this morning he wants to get that off your shoulders. Jesus says this morning he wants to take that out of your hands. Why not claim God's truth? But that's not all. Paul also says we're free from the law. And you see, the law is one of those things that if you were, if, if you were amen people, and some of you are amen people, and praise the Lord, I, I, I like amen people. Some of you talk back, so that's, that's fine. You have the freedom here, freedom. If you don't want to stand when we worship, sit down. If you want to shout amen when the preacher actually hits a home run, amen. <laughs> Somebody said every squirrel finds a nut, right? So... <laughs> What I find is so many Christians are willing to shout and say, Amen, free from sin and free from condemnation and, and free from you know, uh, guilt and free from uh, death and, and free from worry and free from fear. But then we've allowed to sneak in the backside this legalism that somehow binds us. You see, legalism creeped into the early church and it's never left. It's this idea that you have to do certain things to be loved by God, to be accepted by God, to be more like God. And in the early church, it was circumcision and dietary rules. They pulled those things over from, from the, the Old Testament. A hundred years ago, 50 years ago, it was things like dancing or cards. Any of you remember growing up in those days? I went to a Baptist school. We had to sign a piece of paper. This is 1980-something. I will not dance. Listen, if they knew me, it's not a great sacrifice, okay? <laughs> and so, in the times I did dance, they couldn't catch me because nobody would say that was dancing. So it was nobody. But that was part of it, right? No dancing, no going to those movies, no playing cards, no going to the pool hall, right? I mean, those were the things that we said. If you want to be spiritual, you certainly don't do those things. You, or you do these things. You've got to be at church every time the doors open. And you've got to check off all the little boxes on your Sunday school attendance. And you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And so we put all these rules together, right? Because somehow that makes us more spiritually. We think somehow Jesus is going to love me more if I do these things. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves you more than he ever could right now. And he'll never love you any less than he does right now. There's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Why? Because he's Jesus. And in the midst of the pig pen where you were at your worst, Jesus loved you. But legalism creeps in. See, today it's things like de denominationalism. If you don't go to this denomination or if you go to that denomination or, or it's versions of Bible, if you read this version of Bible or that version of Bible or you sing this song or you don't sing that song or you dress this way or you don't dress that way. And so many people in the church say, I'm free of legalism, pastor. But man, let somebody come into the church that doesn't fit into your look, your expectations. Ooh, did you see that guy had shorts on, right? 
That's, it still bothers me. And it's legalism. I see somebody come in with a hat. Oh, wait. It's the house of the Lord. Take that hat off. Right? You see that guy, he had tattoos and, you know, the way he looked. And maybe he was lost, right? Maybe he was here looking for help. See, we got quiet. Why? True. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. Because it's true. <laughs> we just added legalism on. And all legalism does is it hinders the move of the Spirit. And it hinders the freedom of the Spirit. And what it does is it robs you of your joy in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Because instead of an intimate and personal relationship with Christ, what you do is you substitute it for all these other things. You want me to give you a little test to see if you're struggling with legalism? Here's a couple of things. First of all, grace. We talk a lot about the things that you do instead of the things that he did. See, sometimes churches get wrapped up into, if you do these eight things, then you'll get this and follow this little secret thing. And, you know, you got to do. We need to talk more about what he did, because if we can really grasp what he did, then it'll change what we do. You get wrapped up into works over grace. We categorize sin. We decide, it's legalism. We decide what sins are worse, not ours, and what sins are not so bad, ours, right? We list them. Sin is sin. It all destroys. It all kills. No little white sin, no big sin. We live a life of do's and don'ts. We, we put together a little idea in our mindset that we've got to do these things and we can't do these things. And what happens with that thinking, I understand, sometimes keeping up with those legalistic ideas helps us grow into maturity. Because when you had little kids, what would you do? You made rules for them, right? But as they grew in maturity, you stopped giving them some of those rules. Why? So they could experience it on their own. And so when you're a new believer, it's okay to put disciplines into your life and say, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to watch that, and I'm going to do this. But as you grow as a believer, those things need to spread out so you can spread your wings and discover who God is. Legalism always will stick to a list of do's and don'ts. Legalism leaves no room for gray areas. Everything is black and white. It's right or wrong. The problem with that is there's a lot of places in the Word of God that there's gray areas that we can debate and we can argue all day long and I can take both sides and from Scripture argue your point and argue my point and we won't come to any conclusion because it's gray. And that's okay. Because see, some places there needs to be mystery. Some places we just need to say, God knows more than I know and I don't understand it. Maybe one day I will. You can say, Adam and Eve had belly buttons. I'll say they didn't and we can argue all day long and I'll tell you, you're, you're not because you think they did it's not black and white and then the last thing that happens in legalism is we judge those who don't agree with us you see what always happens is those that fall on the other side of what we believe they've got to be wrong instead of being gracious you see your freedom didn't come from something you did but from something Jesus did for you so many believers are doing so great and they let legalism sneak up on them it's a mindset and here's the way to keep from it. Your criteria for being a Christ follower is anything beyond repentance of sin in Jesus Christ and His burial and resurrection, which we define as being a relationship with God. If, if it's anything extra, it's legalism. Jesus plus anything, legalism. 
Jesus plus baptism, legalism. Jesus plus you've got to be at church on Sunday, legalism. Jesus plus you've got to give this amount of money, legalism. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad. What I'm saying is those do not make you a believer in Jesus Christ. They don't make you who God's called you to be. But just as dangerous as legalism is, the other extreme is just as dangerous. And I'm, gonna, I'm wrapping it up so you can hold on for a few minutes. If legalism is the extreme on this side, then what we call license is the extreme on this side. And that's the mindset that says, well, I'm under grace and God's forgiven me, so it really doesn't matter how I live. I can do whatever I want. God's going to forgive me anyway, right? I can just go ahead and do this thing because God loves me and He's going to forgive me anyway. That's a dangerous hindrance to your freedom. Because see, it robs you of your relationship to God. Because your freedom is not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. And freedom in Christ never is a license to sin. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. There's this new movement out. It's growing. It's called a grace movement. And I'm all for anything that's called grace. And I believe we don't understand grace and we need to teach grace. But what I'm hearing from some of those people in that following is they say, We just want to love Jesus. We're not worried about sin. Jesus died for our sins. Yes, He did. Your sins are covered. But even as a believer, sins corrupt. Sins are never God's will. It should never be my attitude that I get comfortable with sin in my life. And somehow this idea that I can do whatever I want and it's not going to hurt, it hinders your relationship to God. Let me tell you something. Romans 6, 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? He goes on to verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? No! Sin is never God's will for your life. It's never His desire. And when you get to the place that you are so comfortable with sin that, and you excuse it because of the grace of Jesus Christ, you are not experiencing the freedom that God has for you. Matter of fact, you are putting yourself in bondage again to the very sin that Jesus died for. Somebody says, well, but if I sin, I'm not going to go to hell. Not if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It may not send you to hell, but it may send the person around you to hell that's watching you. Sin has consequences. See, freedom is not a freedom to sin, and it's not a freedom to ignore God's call for holiness in our lives. See, God calls us to be more like Him in everything we do. God calls us to follow His example. Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourself with Lord Jesus Christ, and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Jesus says, Be holy, for I am holy. See, you and I need to understand we've been set free for a reason. Set free to live for Christ. And over and over and over again in Galatians 5, Paul tries to hammer it into their head. And I think sometimes in the church we hear about freedom so much that we grow cold to it. Because we just say, yeah, I understand, yeah, I understand, yeah, I understand, and we don't. It's kind of like a patriotism in America. 
So many people, you, you, you hear it and you see it, and, and, and some people just get, uh, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Because we remove ourselves from all that it means. And in the church, it's so hard because we don't see very many people living free. And most of us have never met somebody who paid the ultimate price so that we could celebrate our freedoms in Christ. You read the stories of martyrs. You see the videos of the Christians, Coptic Christians being drugged on a beach in Libya and beheaded. Ask, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes, heads cut off. You remember that video? Thirteen young men. Do you know what's incredible about that video? One of the pastors that was there knows the family, ministering to the family. Twelve of those young men were Christians. One of them was not. And while they gathered around this young, moderate Muslim, listening to these other Christians pray and say that they were willing to die for their faith, this young man said, if they have that and they're willing to die for it, I want what they've got. And he met Jesus that very moment. You see, we've been set free to live and to share the glory that is Jesus Christ. Stop taking it for granted. Stop ignoring it. Stop letting the bondage of this world bind you down. Let me ask you again, are you free? Are you free from fear? Are you free from rules and condemnation and guilt and worry and past defeats, doubt, past failures? Why not let the chain breaker set you free this morning? Peter Marshall, famous pastor who was one time chaplain of the U.S. Senate, prayed this prayer in the mid-50s. As he opened the Senate floor, he said, Liberty is too precious to be buried in a book. Cost too much to be hoarded or abused. It must be lived. Dear Lord Jesus, help us to understand that liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to do what is right. On this July 4th weekend, let us not lose sight that while we celebrate our freedoms as Americans, we are surrounded by those still in spiritual bondage. Jesus declared, I have come to set the captives free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray.